Deadline. Nothing personal. Word of the day. The trade deadline is coming tomorrow. Thank you for being a part of all of the mailbags, the sit downs, the things that we have done, tried to do to keep you occupied while Coke and I have been away. Mostly me. Partially Coca. We will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow is Major League Baseball's trade deadline. End of story. If you're going to buy, buy. If you're going to sell, sell. There's one deadline. Don't forget. It's not like it's July 31st deadline. Well, this year it's August 1st. Part of the new CBA, you can change the day. MLB can choose. So they chose August 1st this year. But it used to be you could make deals throughout August. Waiver deals. They were exciting. But no, this is it. We are going to get to recap it all. And if everything goes according to plan, and that is a big if, but we'll stay in touch on social media and various other places. We expect to be back live at the end of the deadline day, somewhere around, let's say, 6 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Pacific, with an entire recap of deadline. Teams going into the deadline have decisions to make. We've talked about it on episodes of Nothing Personal leading up into the break, figuring out, are you buying, are you selling? It is far more difficult than you believe to both make a decision what to do, forget the outliers. It's like anything in life with standard deviation. There are people who are multiple standard deviations away from the middle. Let's just say the A's. Let's just say for fun, the Royals. And let's say the Rays and the Braves. It is not difficult for them to decide where they are. There are outliers, both on both sides. For the rest of the teams, not easy. I went into every trade deadline. I lived through 18 of them. It's my lucky number. No, it's not. I don't have a lucky number. I don't even get what a lucky number is. But 18 deadlines, I've never calculated the number of times I was a buyer versus a seller, part of a buyer organization versus a seller. I know we had an owner who always wanted to buy, crushed him to sell. I loved buying because if we were within five games of a playoff spot, come September 1, playoff invoices are out the door, revenue's in the door. We'll try to get it back to you if we can, but we're not going to make it easy for you, but we're happy to apply it to next year's season tickets. So in the absence of any arguments by the owner, my vote is always to buy. Let's give the fans a chance, give the players a chance. Of course, we'd say to players, hey, what have you done to deserve anything? And that's when we knew we were selling or staying the same. When the team's playing like crap and you're a buyer, you're letting them off the hook. I like the idea of holding players accountable for the first part of the season. But once you've made the decision on buying or selling, then you got to go do it. And man, is that hard. 
You call up different teams, you identify, you have lists. It starts a month in advance, at least, where you have a list of players on teams that are possible acquisition targets. You have a list of teams that are possible sell targets for the assets you have. You're keeping track of different levels of payroll by the day. Payroll's broken out, the players are paid by the day. You only get paid every two weeks, but they're, you, you divide their salary by days of the championship season. So if you're making $185 million a year and the championship season is 185 days, do the math, it's a million a day. Every day that you don't trade a player, that's a million you're paying that the team you're trading them to is not. So you're very focused on what the cost is when you are selling a player for waiting. Every day is an opportunity cost and it better be made up. It better be made up through help on the acquisition side. Well, we got this player, not that player. I got a funny name for you off the record that I just thought of. His name is Don and his last name is Lewinsky. I believe that Don Lewinsky and Juan Batista were two players who we traded to the Baltimore Orioles on July. No, it was on August 31st, 2003. Back then there were two deadlines. On September 1st, you have to set your playoff roster. Whoever is on your roster is who's on your, they have, that's your choices. So if you're trying to acquire a player, you better get it done or else they cannot appear in the playoffs. And back in 2003, by the second de deadline, the first trade deadline, which was July 31st, we had acquired early on, we had acquired Ugeth Urbina for a first base prospect who no one ever heard of named Adrian Gonzalez, never amounted to anything. It was a brilliant, brilliant move, giving up Adrian Gonzalez, getting us a World Series. That's how trade deadlines work. You're giving up, if you're buying, you're giving up prospects and you hope to God they don't make it, or you hope you win the World Series and you don't care. When Adrian Gonzalez became a borderline Hall of Famer, but not, you're saying to yourself, don't care, we won the World Series. When you give up a pitcher, or a position player who ends up being fantastic for a trade deadline player who didn't help you even make the playoffs, forget win the World Series, you're thinking, wow, that sucked. One of you asked a question on a subject that I believe has been covered before, but I don't want to make you feel as though you're on the outs if you're new to the show because I love it. Thank you. Go back to the archives, maybe deep into the archives. But your question was about Jeff Conine. And you must have heard somewhere, it's Don Levinsky. Thank you, Coca. Don Levinsky. Why did I say Lewinsky? Is that, oh, is there a chance it's Monica Lewinsky and Donald Levinsky? There's the brain for you. I got Lewinsky on the brain. I meant Levinsky. Never heard of him. Nope, didn't make it. Man, we protected him. We didn't want to give him up. Oi. 
somebody asked a question. We've liked these mailbag episodes. Thank you for listening to them. We appreciate it because you have. Get to me at David P. Sampson, if you can, or on Twitter at David P. Sampson, Instagram, David P. Sampson, wherever you can find us, just get me a question and I promise we'll try to answer it. Hey, David. Hello. Can you please tell a story about Jeff Conine coming back to the Marlins for the second time? I think you may have before, but can you please do it again? Listen, not ideal, because here's the funny part. I don't know whether I've told it. Coca may not know whether I've told it, not as part of nothing personal, but as part of some of the other radio shows or TV shows I've done. It could have been part of the lost tapes with Mike Ryan during COVID on the Lebitard show. But let me tell you something. It's one hell of a story. Take me back to August 2003. We made it through the deadline. We have great record. We're climbing the standings. We're feeling like we've got a shot. We're about a month away from clinching a playoff spot. We are under two months away from winning a World Series. Of course, we didn't know it at the time, but man, we were feeling good. Best record in the league, as I recall, since the middle of May. We were just good. With Pierre and Castillo at the top of the lineup, we had Miguel Cabrera as a rookie who had been called up. Josh Beckett pitching for us. Juan Encarnacion in our lineup. Alex Gonzalez at short. Mike Lowell. Mike Lowell was the linchpin, the centerpiece of success for that team. Juan Pierre in center field. All of a sudden, we're watching a game, and I will not forget where I was because I was not with the team on this particular day. And the reason I was not with the team is that we wanted to make sure that we were on hand in Miami, getting ready for a deadline where we had to submit a roster. And I'd only been in the game. This is my fourth season. I'd never had to submit a roster before. Pretty exciting. Now, this is not the active roster for an actual playoff series, for those of you who are wondering whether that's what I'm talking about. But that's a lot of inside baseball. This is your 40-man roster and those eligible to be on the active roster should you make the playoffs. And here comes the pitch. Oh, no. Did Mike Lowell just get hit by a pitch? It can't be. There's no way. Mike Lowell gets hit by a pitch. He's holding the bat. He gets hit in a place where you think that could be a broken hamate, which means he's out four to six weeks. And we are screwed. What are we going to do? Before we even got the trainer or the doctor to tell us what was wrong, before we got the first x-rays back, we made a decision that we wanted to try to acquire Jeff Conine. We had tried earlier that year to acquire him, and Peter Angelos, the owner of the Orioles, who was upright at the time, said, absolutely not. We heard from the GM at the time, who was my former GM at Montreal, Jim Beatty, was the GM of the Orioles, after he had left the Marlins, Jim Beatty said, 
We cannot trade Jeff Conine. He is our owner's favorite player. Peter Angelos has said we cannot trade him. God is my witness, Coca. As I hear that today, it's completely asinine. But the way I heard it back in 03 was, wow, that makes sense. Our owner does that too. There are players who we know shouldn't be traded, can't be traded. There's some who are traded because they're supposed to be traded. Some not supposed to be traded, get traded. Some supposed to be down in the big leagues, down in the minor leagues or up in the big leagues. All sorts of things happen because of an owner's prerogative. All sorts of things happen if you've got a baseball department that's fractured. All sorts of things. It didn't occur to me that Peter Angelos didn't give a flying rat's pituitary gland about Jeff Conine. It was the opposite. It occurred to me that, in fact, he loved Jeff Conine. We got outmaneuvered by Jim Beatty. I would find out years later, years, not days, not weeks, years. Spoiler alert, we acquired Jeff Conan. Years and years later, he told me, when I told him about us trying to acquire him and we were reminiscing about that and telling him that Peter Angelos, you were his favorite player, he wouldn't trade you. Conine said, I met the guy one time. Dun, 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 dun. That's not the right sound effect. How are we doing? We're in a studio. I should have sound effects. If I hit a sound effect, will anyone hear it? It's wah, wah, wah. That may not even be it either. I said Niner, and this time we were, at this time we were good friends. Niner. Come on, you can't tell me you never met Peter Angelos except one time. He said, David, never once was he in the clubhouse. Never once did I see him at a game. There was one time me and a bunch of guys were at a restaurant. Angelos was there and he paid our check. And that was it. Never saw the guy. I said, those bastages, they got us to trade Don Levinsky and Denny Batista to the Orioles. The way it worked is that Jeff Conine was told about the trade while he was playing a game. Not that the trade had been done, that the Marlins were interested. Keep in mind, Jeff Conine was Mr. Marlin. Jeff Conine had been on the team in 97 when they won a title, part of the original Marlins, MVP of the All-Star Game lived in Weston, had charitable pursuits in Florida. That's Weston, Florida, not Connecticut, for those of you scoring at home, or even if you're not. We thought Conine would want to come back to Florida and he'd be honored to come back because Baltimore season was going nowhere. We got word back that Conine will not make the deal that we need him to make. And the deal we needed him to make is that we needed Conine's salary the following season to be lower than what it was guaranteed to be. We wanted to give him an extra year, tack on 2005, in order to make our 2004 burden smaller because we knew win the World Series or not, we knew our players were getting more expensive in arbitration. We knew we were going to have to get rid of players no matter what the result of the season was. 
And the hope was we could get rid of as few players as possible. So let's extend Conine an extra year, cut his salary, which means instead of think about a player who's making $10 million for a year, there is a scenario where you offer him $12 million, but six per year. And in my math, as I'm talking to the owner, we only would owe that player $6 million this year and $6 million next year. So this year, instead of the 10 that we owed him, we only owe him six. That's a $4 million savings. This is not creative accounting, Mike. This is not illegal. This is rationalization to make decisions that are not in the best interest of the team. I got hoodwinked, line and sinkered. I was told by Conine's agent that Conine would not sign our new deal, which was a condition precedent for us doing it. Not interested. His agent said that Conine is not caring about Florida. He's there in the off season, he lives there, he's got family there. He doesn't need to come right now. Not an issue. I was told that Conine's wife, who I would came come to know, 489. I was told that Conine's wife was an impediment to getting the trade done. She demanded no pay cut in 2004. She demanded that we properly remunerate, remunerate Conine if we're going to extend him. Conine was hiding behind his wife, which is a Bush League move. Don't hide behind your manager or your wife. Just say, yeah, screw you. I don't really need to be a Marlon. I'm happy to be an Oriole. Don't make me take a pay cut. Not doing it. Don't need to. I'm really good. This is after we had agreed on the players who would go. We had to make sure before we signed off on this trade that Conine was going to do our deal to lessen our exposure to him in 04 and 05. Critical. We knew Denny Batista was a major league pitcher. We thought Levinsky would be as well. Denny Batista went on to a long career of what, three, four years maybe? But he, he hit there. He was one of the original hundo guys, Denny Batista. Don Levinsky was a special draft that we did in Montreal. And then we acquired him. And I can't think for the life of me what Don Levinsky ever did. It seems as though that he never made it. But at the time, these were two big pitching prospects. And we were under a barrel because the time was clicking toward the end of August 31st. And if you trade for Conine after August 31st, at the midnight deadline, now they've made it way nicer to people. They didn't give one flying ass about us. Deadlines at midnight, we're staying up all night. Make the deadline 3 p.m. And then we can do all the paperwork, figure out the rest, and still be free for the night. These midnight deadlines are killer. So I'm standing up in the house where I lived, my house, my kids, a newborn baby, trying to be super, super quiet while pacing around, speaking to Larry Beinfest and Michael Hill, trying to figure out what we're going to do. Lowell's hurt. We got to replace Lowell. Cabrera can play third, which is his position, despite what his body looks like today. Coming up, he was an infielder. 
not first base, a really, really above average defender. And the best thing about Miguel Cabrera and his ability to play third is that we'd move him to third, put Conine in at left, and ride it. And Lowell will come back when he comes back. When Lowell comes back, we'll figure it out. It'll be an abundance of riches. We had it all figured out. We were so desperate to do the deal, but we couldn't tell anyone. So we're telling Conine's agent, screw Conine, didn't know him at the time, screw his wife, didn't know her at the time, and screw you, didn't know the agent except by talking to him. We're inviting him to be a Marlin. We have a trade worked out. You let us know. Tick tock, tick tock. The owner is on the phone to us saying, if you screw this up and do not get Jeff Conine, Mr. Frickin' Marlin, when you know that Lowell's hurt and we need help, I don't care if we overpay by three players. If you'd screw this up, off with your head. That was the basic message from the owner. What are we supposed to do? I said, all right, president of the team, I got to make a decision. Call up Conine's agent and say, all right, we'll give in. We'll take him as is. We don't need to change his contract for next year. No problem. No problem. Hell no. I couldn't do that. It would have totally hamstrung us the following year. So I did the second best thing. I told the owner, don't worry. He's going to take it. He wants to come home. Why wouldn't he want to come home? And by the way, why wouldn't his wife want him to come home without any knowledge of the marriage? Just on the assumption, hey, these are major staples in the community. Charitable people. 11.50 frickin' seven. Three minutes prior to the deadline, agent calls and says they've agreed. Great. I'm exhausted. It means we have to do 15 things right now that we could have done two hours ago. But you got to get right to the deadline. You got to get right up against it. You've got to be able to play chicken. I don't think you should do it with a car, but you can certainly do it in business if you are willing to not get the deal. Because when two people play chicken and there's a deadline involved that's real, you both have a chance to not get what you want and lose. When the deadline is a soft deadline set by you, I want you to accept this offer on my house by Thursday at 5 p.m. Says who? Is there an agreement anywhere that says that? We're just negotiating. You found an arbitrary time and day? Yeah, after 5 p.m., I'm not negotiating. I'm going another direction. 5.03 comes and there's no deal. The other side hasn't given in. And you call up and say, all right, I'll accept it. It's weakness. You said you're done at 5 p.m. if you don't get it. 5 p.m. passed, you didn't get it, and you're not done. You're done now with your leverage. You're done now with negotiating with anyone because you are a wuss. Don't set a deadline in a negotiation unless you know you're going to stick to it. Baseball makes it so there is no setting of deadlines. They've already done it. It's in the collective bargaining agreement. 
after midnight, we would have told the Orioles to stuff it. You wanted Batista and Levinsky. You didn't get to your player fast enough to figure out what to do with him and get him to take this very fair deal. No problem. Good luck with Conine the rest of the way. Conine, thanks for your time. See you later. We've moved on. If you're not willing to let that happen, you're going to lose. If you are willing to let that happen and it's a hard deadline where after midnight you cannot do what you wanted to do because the whole purpose was solely to have him on the playoff team, you have a better than average chance of winning. Now, we won that trade in every way. What Jeff Conine did for us in the World Series, what Jeff Conine does for Miami, the relationship that exists to this day, my closest friend on the field ever is Jeff Conine. I appreciate you, but let me tell you something. When you told me that you were on a plane and that you were coming to Florida either way and that you had made it clear that on the plane you were going to be a Marlin, you could have just told me. Wouldn't that have been nice? The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400, or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425, right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Good morning, David. Good morning, Vietnam. Here's a question. And I hope this finds you well. I would like you to discuss the Diamond Sports fiasco knowing you already have is it possible that the Castellinis, this is me adding this, owners of the Cincinnati Reds, is it possible that the Castellinis actually saw this bankruptcy happening before anybody else and the slashing of their payroll was as a result of their concern that their revenue would decrease? Oof. Phil and Bob Castellini of the Cincinnati Reds having a decent moment this year. The thing about 
us as executives is we try to think that we are ahead of the curve. We try to think that we can have great predictability over outcomes of which we have no control. There is no doubt that team executives knew that the cable pl subscriber plan, which is that everyone who subscribes to cable pays a fee for a channel they don't watch. And these cable companies pass on some percent of that money to teams in order to secure those teams' rights to broadcast games. There is no question that everyone in the industry, me included, was aware that the model used by the regional sports networks where subscribers were growing and growing and growing and they could clip them like coupons. You're a subscriber. It's January 1, $10. You're a subscriber. It's February 1, $9.99. You're a subscriber. It's March 1. And they would add up and add up. The money would add up. We thought the gravy train would last forever. For those of us who were negotiating TV deals from 2015 on or 2014 on, there was a major concern that regional sports networks were having a problem. But the concern was manifested in the lack of subscription growth. Not that it would be the end of the regional sports networks. Under no scenario did we picture anybody going bankrupt. The only reason Diamond went bankrupt in this situation is that they took on so much debt to buy these existing networks, billions and billions of dollars of debt. And contrary to what some people think around here, when you have a lot of debt, you have a lot of interest to pay, you have a lot of current cash needs. You may own a mortgage, which is like what having debt is. Acquisition debt, it's like a mortgage. You may live in a house who's appreciating like crazy. You may own networks that are appreciating like crazy, but guess what that doesn't do? Get ready. On three, say it with me. One, two, three. It doesn't help you pay the bills. It doesn't help you pay the bills, and I don't mean the Buffalo ones. It doesn't help you keep the lights on because your underlying asset is worth more today than it was yesterday. You need the cake, baby. Give me the cash. Phil Castellini and Bob Castellini are fine. They're fine. For you to think that they were able to project and imagine the bankruptcy of their network? Absolutely not. It's okay to get lucky. It's okay to take information that you have in your head and extrapolate it over a set of possible scenarios and say to yourself, here's the likelihood of this scenario versus that scenario. I'm in on all that. But you're asking me if you can give him credit for being a fire sale team, a slashing team after signing Votto, not winning with Votto, retooling, restarting, and then having a good year this year, is it all part of the plan? Love that. No chance of any kind. One thing that you have to look out for in this diamond sports situation is that with their reorganization, 
there is a chance that revenue in the industry will go down and there's a chance there's a chance that salary cap will go down those salary caps keep going up and up because there's so much other revenue so i'm merely saying if they stop noah garden from doing his job and getting so much extra revenue and he worked in the nba then there'd be a chance that the salary cap would go down not up because their local broadcast revenue is taking such a hit makes me smile broadly to think about a salary cap going down. And I want to explain why before you call me out. You are such a crappy pro owner, this and that. The reason why I want to see the salary cap go down one particular year instead of up, 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 is when you're not increasing the number of players on your roster, but you're increasing the amount of money you have to spend on your roster you are, you're, you are increasing the exact amount of money as amortized over the number of players. In basketball, if you're paying 15 players, you got to get to a cap that's 150. That's 10 million a player. If you have to get to a cap that's 200 million, that's, what did I say? 200 by 10, 20 million a player. I had a whole thing going, Coke, and I lost the math. I lost the damn math. Sorry about that. The point is that when you force teams to pay because of a salary cap, that's what they're going to do. In baseball, you actually can prepare because there is no salary cap. If your revenue goes down, you can have your payroll go down with it. In basketball, where there is a salary cap, if their revenue would go down, the cap would decrease but the teams would not be able to let go of the guaranteed contracts they paid. So teams would be over the cap earlier, or they'd have to trade everybody else to have crappy old players getting paid a lot of money and staying under the cap. All new sets of people hired, capologists, how to avoid, if you can, spending money on the cap or being able to, if you're inclined to spend more than the cap, Owners can use it two different ways. I can't do that trade. Violates the cap. Nothing I can do. Or you can say, oh, I'm definitely doing that trade. It definitely violates the cap. Now I got to put extra money in the team, but you're worth it. I thought I was only paying you 10 million. I got a $10 million tax on top of it. I'm paying you 20 million. You bastard. You better be good. It's not any reds don't have any pressure on them they have no nostradamus they're doing what the league is doing the league is spending day upon day waiting to see how the market ends up they're waiting to see about the consolidation of gambling companies they're waiting to see whether or not there's going to be a new way a new form of revenue from streaming services they're waiting to see whether their entire broadcast revenue will get replaced over one year, five years, 10 years, never. And in the meantime, they're coming up with other plans. What I like about that is that it can make owners look smarter than they are. And that for me is what you're seeing with Castellini. Prescient? I don't think so. Brilliant? Debatable? aware faster than any of us about Diamond going bankrupt and reorganizing 
Nope. <sighs> Hi, David. With your experience, under what circumstance would you have brought a player into the clubhouse with the checkered past like Antonio Brown? Wow. What guarantees would you have needed before agreeing to bringing that player on? Hell yeah. I love this question, Coca. Thank you. All right, here's the deal. When we're trading for a player, and it's going on right now with MLB's trade deadline tomorrow, when you are trading a player for a player, you do homework. You ask people who know the player you're acquiring. You ask players who have played with him. You ask front office people from scouts all the way up to the GM. What are you hearing? What do you know? Do you know him? Where do you want a team that's with him? Then you're going to people who are batting cages and in the sewing circle, blah, yada, yada, yada. Hey, get out there and get me a report on blank. I want to know if we're trading for a turd ball. I want to know whether or not this guy's going to help us. We need to hear. Once we hear back on what a player is, here's the truth. And it's pulling back the curtain in a way you may not be interested in. But if we hear back that the guy's not good in the clubhouse, he's a bit of a cancer, which is my least favorite expression. Or we're not hearing positive things, David, I'm sorry. I really didn't care. And the reason I didn't care is that when you're acquiring people at the deadline, which I'm talking about the deadline right now, short-term rentals, two months, I want them here, play, and I'm happy to let you go. You can't bring down a team in two months. It takes a lot longer for there to be a professional turd to bring it down a team. And generally, it takes two to tango, not just one. What about a player who it's not necessary to get the scouting report from anybody because he's in the newspaper all the time? Because every week, month, year, season, seasons of change. You know what changes for some players? Nothing. There's a scenario where a player is so negative that we wouldn't trade for him. Did you buy that? How did I do? How did I deliver that? Let me try that again. Ready? Four, six, nine. There is a situation where no matter how good a player is, if they are negatively recommended by anybody, we're not going to trade for them. Good, Coca? Can I say that in that way? <laughs> we let neither rain nor sleet nor silly scouting reports get in the way when we've got a player we've got our eye on, when we say he's got to be our guy. That's during the deadline. If you're looking at signing a guy to a five-year deal, you are damn right. You are doing a character assessment and you are not signing a bad guy in the clubhouse. If your reputation is that of a bad guy in the clubhouse, you better be so freaking good that your last name and first name are the same letter. That's how good you have to be. You have to be Barry Bonds. 
where the way you are in the clubhouse is not relevant at all because you are so good. The fact that steroids, no steroids, doesn't matter. You're so good. Fringe player, forget it. A player singing in glory days, forget it. Coca, tell me about Antonio Brown right now. Is he to you a top five player at his position right now? Not yesterday, but right now. Would you, under all circumstances, say that Antonio Brown is that? No, I hear you. Okay. So under what scenario would you think a front office would bring Antonio Brown is when he will put the D in distraction? He's done things on and off the field that are inexcusable. He's done things that take teams right into the crapper. There are players who get that reputation, who run out of chances until they find the most desperate team in the lot who hasn't won a thing. Hey, this is all that we got. It's all that's available. We're going to give him a try. If you sign a player like Antonio Brown, you better have permission granted in advance to release him at a whim whenever you want. You looked at the guy wrong in the kitchen. You're released. You did not be nice. You were not nice to the clubby. You're released. You were two minutes late to that team meeting. You're released. If we ever brought in a player with the checkered pass, we would make it very clear what was expected, what was not expected. And the best part is that we would not, under any circumstance, waiver from those initial rules and beliefs unless we acquired a player who was at one level and during the course of his time with us, he rised up to another level of positive production and contribution. Then, of course, all bets are off. It's the same theme if you think about it. I've got my limits. Deshaun Watson, no chance. You're not coming to my team. I don't care how good you are, ever. The guys who are gambling on sports, serve your time, come back. Domestic abusers, no thank you. Go find another team. These are purely ways that I think about it and that I would talk to the owner and GM about it try to get us all on the same side, knowing that sometimes the owner would say, I don't care about this or that or this or that. Give Let's let's get him and give him a try. The GM would say, no, no, I do care about it. He's going to ruin the clubhouse. Let's not give it a try. Had a referee a lot of those spectacles. I would always look to see what was the underlying issue. And the underlying issue with Antonio Brown, is it enough that I wouldn't want to sign him? I don't want to say. I only know my own players. I only know other players in MLB where we get reports, we get an understanding of what's going on. We have an entire investigative unit that can give us information. And then it's up to us to make the right decision. But after all is said and done, when you're making trades at the deadline, when you're acquiring players, when you're selling players, when you're buying players, you know by the end of September whether it worked, are you in the playoffs or not, and then when you get eliminated before winning the World Series, you feel like crap. So you get immediate sort of answers by the end of October, for sure. 
When you're the seller, you don't have answers for years. When you sign a free agent with a checkered past, who knows whether or not it will ever be worth it. But all of it comes under, under the same branch for me. It's just business. We'll see you tomorrow live as we talk about the trade deadline. We'll be ready. This is nothing personal.